that is continuing to grow and uh, hopefully give some things that we can do to combat it and to reverse the effects of it in our society. Hosea chapter number 4. I'm going to read beginning in verse number 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now, this is the problem that God has with them. There's no truth, there's no mercy, nor is there any knowledge of God in the land. Now, verse number 2, he says, By swearing and lying and killing and stealing, committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowl of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another, for thy people are as they strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed, notice this, for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will forget, also forget thy children. Father, we come to you once again this afternoon, and please, Lord, help us to rightly divide your word and to pull some truth from these um, words of warning, words of judgment that you gave to your children a long time ago. And may we learn from their mistakes and learn from their errors and not repeat them. I pray that you would help us to glean from your word the thing that you would have us to and to speak to our hearts. And Lord, help us to reconsecrate, recommit ourselves, redouble our efforts to be all that you would want us to be. And Lord, an example and testimony, uh, especially in the inner man, as we strive to walk and become more of what we should be and be closer to you day by day. So guide and direct our steps and open our eyes and illuminate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse number 6, I want you to notice that the problem that God is, is dealing here with and is judging them for is they're destroyed for their lack of knowledge. But I want you to notice that it was not because the knowledge was not available to them. <coughs> he goes on to say, because thou hast rejected Knowledge. There was a survey done last year, I believe it was, where some people were asked just generally off the street. They they had a number of people that they asked these questions of just general Bible knowledge. Fewer than half of the adults that were asked could, could name the first four Gospels or the four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fewer than half of them could do that. Most of them that professed to be Christians could not identify more than three of the disciples. These were people who did name the name of Christ, who claimed to go to church. Sixty percent of all Americans cannot name even five of the Ten Commandments. Eighty-two percent of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. We chuckle at this, but this is a sad commentary, to be honest with you. Uh, 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. That's a little bit of a humorous one, but sad too. A survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife. 
And a large number of respondents believed that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Folks, we're living in a day where there's probably been a lot of... In fact, if you go and ask most people in the United States of America, most people will say, I love the Bible, or I know of the Bible, I respect the Bible. Very few people read it. Very few people study. In fact, it's amazing to me. I did a, I did a survey a number of years ago when I was a youth pastor. We had about 35 teenagers at the time in our youth group. And I, I put out an anonymous survey. I, didn't, I did not have them sign their names to it. Uh, numbers of those kids that were in my youth group were children of staff members of our church. Uh, assistant pastors, teachers in our Christian school. Some of the questions that were asked were things like, Do you have a personal time to read your Bible daily? Out of the 35, I think I had two or three that said they did it daily. And they had a couple multiple choice. More than half of them said, seldom to never. I had another question on there that said, do you have family devotions? Does your family have family devotions daily? Or And then gave the list. And again, more than half of them said, seldom to never. We're talking about people who are in church. Raised in church. People who are serving the Lord in church. People who are in what we would consider to be full-time Christian service in church. I read a survey, it's been about five or six years ago now, that was taken among, uh, among what we would consider to be uh, doctrinally sound preachers of the gospel. Now, they may not have all been our, our flavor of fundamentalism, but... They would have had a strong, solid, core doctrine on salvation. They preached hard. They were King James Version type preachers. And um, out of those that were surveyed, they asked how many of you spend daily time personally, outside of preparing a message, personally reading your Bible. And over 80% of preachers said they did not have a personal time in their Bible daily. Folks, we're, we're facing biblical illiteracy in our society today. And it is not something that is a stagnant problem, but one that is increasingly getting worse and worse. As we become more and more engrossed in life and the world begins to vie for our affection and our attention and we get uh, so wrapped up in all the affairs of dealing with life, it seems like our Bible reading and our Bible studying and the personal enrichment of just going to Scripture, uh, it, it seems to get less and less. And we are reaping the consequences of it. There are things that happen because of this. The effects, first of all, I want to show that there are effects on you as an individual. The Bible tells us here in Hosea that it was for lack of knowledge that his people were destroyed. In the book of Amos, just over a few pages to your right, Amos chapter number 8, about maybe just turn 8 or 10 pages to your right, pretty simple verse to get to. Look at Amos chapter number 8 for a minute. Verse number 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north to the east, even to the east. They shall run <coughs> to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. 
Folks, we're not talking about fainting physically. We're talking here about fainting spiritually for the lack of God's Word. When biblical illiteracy takes hold in a society, the effects on an individual is that it will cause them to be destroyed. It will cause them to faint. Psalm 119 verse 105 tells us that His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we end up with having a directionless life. You ever been there? I don't know how many times I talk to people, and it seems like almost weekly anymore, I'll get a phone call or something, Pastor, can I talk with you? And I'll, I'll get talking with them, and they'll say, I just don't know which way to turn right now. I just don't know which way to go right now. And sometimes it's over practical things and things of life, but to be honest with you, most of them are spiritual issues. Things that the Bible would give us instruction on. It impacts the individual, and because of this, we have a lot of Christians and a lot of uh, people who neglect the reading of God's Word and then wonder why they have uh, no direction in life. They stumble through. There's frustration. They feel like they're spinning their wheels. They're not getting any traction. There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no, <coughs> there's no peace in the Christian life. You can mark it down. It's because there's been a lack of His Word. This... this this, uh, this famine of bread that Amos speaks of. This drought of the refreshing water of God's Word. The Bible says that they faint because they cannot find it. It has an effect on the individual. I'll tell you, when it has an effect on the individual, and especially if it's an individual that names the name of Christ, that knows Christ as their Savior, you can rest assured when it affects the individual, it's not long before it will begin to affect the church. All of a sudden, we're going to end up with the, the, the folks that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 5, and I've read the passage so many times to you that you know the, the passage that I'm referring to, where they have need of one teaching them the first oracles of God. They should be the teachers. They should be the ones teaching the doctrine. And so it has an effect on churches. Now you have churches that are desperate for men and women that are qualified teachers and leaders in the church that can take and rightly handle the Word of God and teach a Sunday school class or teach a youth program or, or teach a, a man's program or even to go out and do soul winning and, and, and uh, reaching people with the gospel. Why? Because of biblical illiteracy. Because there's not enough teachers, because churches are suffering, the leaders are not there, then they put people in leadership who do not have those skills. And the following result of that is doctrinal error begins to creep in. Now we begin to have people that, that, are, that are coming into our churches and leading the churches away from God's Word. And the churches are following, not knowing any different. Look with me in Second uh, Peter chapter 2, and we've... I've used this before, but I want you to see it again. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1. But there were false prophets also, notice this, among the people. They were here in the churches. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. These are going to be heresies that will cause someone... Not to be saved. They will be going to hell because of the heresy of the doctrine that's being taught. They will not know how to be saved. They're damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And notice this, and this is one of the saddest words of this passage. 
And many, you see that? Shall follow their pernicious ways. Why? Biblical illiteracy. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they, these, these false teachers, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It has an effect on the individual. And that's sad enough. But because it has the effect on the individual, it has an effect on churches. And this is where we find churches crumbling. Leadership in churches are not... not literate enough in Scripture to lead the people properly, and doctrinal error begins to creep in. And as a result of this, it has an effect on society as a whole. The Bible tells us that the church is the pillar in the ground upon which truth rests. We've been given the wonderful privilege to guard, to uphold, to undergird, to defend, to proclaim the truth of God's Word. And yet the truth, the Bible tells us if truth is fallen in the streets, what can the righteous do? And the truth is our churches, because of the, the, the biblical illiteracy of the individual that affects the biblical illiteracy of the church, our churches have allowed the truth to fall in the streets. And now it affects our society. All of a sudden moral standards are warped. As we've been dealing with a couple Wednesday nights now from Isaiah chapter number 5, when the Bible talks about those that would call evil good and good evil. An upside-down world where we slaughter the innocent, we reward the wicked. Divorce is made easy and cohabitation is encouraged. Immorality and sexual perversion is glorified and honored. Why? You say, where did it start? Well, if our churches could just get a hold of society, wait a minute, our churches are lacking because our individuals are lacking. Where does it begin? The first step to change our world, where does it begin? Does it begin here in the pulpit of Keith Heights Baptist Church? No. It begins right here. In the heart of this preacher. And you can point to you and it begins in the heart of you. That's where it begins. Moral standards are warped in our society And that erodes and destroys our families and our churches and our society. Pornography and promiscuity rips families apart. Children begin to be deprived of proper parenting. Daily devotions and Bible reading are left left undone. And houses and homes are broken apart for lack of knowledge. How do we fix it? I'm going to give you four things how to fix it and we're going to be done. First of all, turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Let's start in verse number 5. Psalm 119, verse number 5. Oh, and there's that, that, that interjection, oh. And every time we see this oh in, in Psalms, and I know I teach this oftentimes, but this oh is an exclamation of emotion. The truth they're getting ready to say is so pressing upon their heart, it's almost as if they're groaning after it. 
Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes forever. Forsake me not utterly. I want us to go back, and if you have a pen, I want us to look at several things. I want you to underline them, if you will, in these verses, if you're in the habit of underlining. Look at verse 4 again. Thou hast commanded, underline the word us, to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that, underline the word my ways, were directed to keep thy statutes. Verse number 6, then shall, underline the word I, not be ashamed. When, underline the word, I have respect unto all thy commandments. Verse number 7, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. When, here it is again, I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. Verse number 8, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forgive, here's another one, me, not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With, here we go, verse number 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, here's that groaning again. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Are we getting the emphasis here? The way to turn biblical literature around has to begin with me. I have to work on it. I have to know this book. I have to study its doctrine. I have to be able to rightly divide it and to handle it skillfully. So I've got, to make a, I've got to make a determination in my life on a daily basis, on a regular basis, and not for the purpose of planning a lesson to teach, but for my personal inner growth, my personal prosperity in Scripture. I must come to God's Word. One of the difficult things in in pastoring, and, and some of you that have, that have taught Sunday school classes, you can relate to this somewhat as well, is that because we teach, it is a temptation for us to come to Scripture always looking for the next point or lesson or outline. Instead of saying, Lord, I need this. May Your words speak to me. May it stir my heart. May it get a hold of me. I remember years ago, a, a, a teacher in, in Bible college, an elderly gentleman, he, just in passing, one of the things that he said in class that, that struck my ear and caught me, and, and, and he was, uh, in fact, I think it was in a discussion after class, because I think he was talking directly to me when he said it even. But when he was talking about preaching, he said, preach from the overflow. And he went on to explain that. And what he was saying is, he said, by the time you get up to teach or something, or you preach something, or you share a truth of God's Word with somebody, it should have already so consumed your heart and so overburdened you with the expression of, I've got to get this truth all across to someone. That you have to spend more time trying to figure out how you are going to fit it all in because there's just too much to say. We're overflowing with the truth of God's Word. It abounds in us. It it bubbles up within us. I've used the word effervescent before to give the idea or the illustration. When it comes to the, the, the reading of God's Word, you say, how much should I read? Until it overflows. Until if somebody jostles your arm, it spills it all over the place. 
Be filled with it. I've got to be the one. Number two, Hebrews chapter number three. Hebrews chapter number three. Hebrews chapter three, verse number twelve. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Can I say, secondly, not only does it need to begin with us, but it needs to be reinforced by in-depth study and discussion with others of like faith. In verse 13, he says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If you'll go over to Hebrews chapter 10, just a few more chapters over. Hebrews chapter number 10. In verse number 23, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And there's the first one. Now look at verse number 24. And let us consider, here it is, one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as ye see the day approaching. It begins here. It continues by combining with others of like faith and in-depth study together. You say, is it important that I go to church? Yes. Yes, it's important that you go to church. You say, was it important that I spend time talking with other brothers and sisters about what God has shown me in Scripture or or letting them talk with me about what God has shown them in Scripture? Yes. You say, how often should I do it? The Bible refers to it as daily. And I think that is certainly a good pattern to follow. There needs to be frequent, in-depth discussion talking about God's Word. Uh, Folks, we, we like to talk about everything else, don't we? We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about the sports. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about how terrible our world is. We'll talk about how good looking the pastor, I mean, dry the pastor is when he preaches. But we'll talk about all these things. We'll get on the internet and we'll spend hours upon hours upon hours debating things that really don't matter. And very little time discussing with one another the things of the Lord from His Word. How do we fix biblical illiteracy? It's got to begin with me. I've got to commit myself to dive deep into this book, to know it, to handle it well. And then I want to take that which I've learned, and I want to go find other Christians that are like heart and of like desire. And I want to, I want to test my thoughts, and, and I want to compare those thoughts with them. And, and let's search Scriptures together and strengthen together in doctrine. Undergird one another, exhort one another. And the Bible says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Number three, and this one may not fit this crowd. Number three, parents have got to begin taking their God-given responsibility of instructing their children in Scripture. It is not the church's responsibility to instruct children in the Scripture. I'm sorry, it's not. You say, Pastor, we need to have a youth program. And we do. 
But the youth program is there to help parents who do not do their biblical obligation. It is not a replacement for There will be children that we will be able to reach that parents will not do their biblical and God-given responsibility of teaching their children in Scripture that we can help. And therefore, it's not wrong to have a children's ministry. But we better not as a church ever think that the children's ministry is the catch-all and the biblical way of reaching children with the gospel. Moms and dads have got to take their responsibility. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I don't know that we have a whole lot of folks that have children at home that they need to deal with that on. But if you're here and you're a parent and you have children still under your influence, it is your job, it is your responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse 6 through 7 tells us this. That fathers are to teach their children the things that they know that they've been taught when they were growing up, they're to, they're to share them with their children. And they're to speak of them when they rise up and when they lie down. It says when they, when they stay in, when they go out, everywhere they go, they're to be teaching their children these things. And number four, we need to have preachers who will get back to preaching the Word of God instead of a social gospel. I was tuned in this week watching some of the news things going on in some of the court hearings and stuff that have been going on this week, and they went to clips of some of these churches that are up trying to defend some of these people in in a political arena. They're trying to defend them in the church, and they're preaching sermons, and people are standing up in their pews, and they're amening, and all they're doing is teaching a political platform in the church. Folks, politics don't belong in the church. The Bible does. Let the Bible affect politics, not the, not the other way around. Let the teaching and the preaching of God's moral standard affect our politicians, not the other way around. We need to have some preachers that will get some backbone and quit trying to get a crowd and quit trying to get the big money people to come in and give to their ministries and they'll get up and just start preaching the Bible. And we need Christians that will desire to belong to a church like that. It's amazing to me when people come looking for a church, all the list of things that they have in their mind that they're looking for. Most of them want a good children's program. Most of them want a good music program. One of them wanted to see what all the activities of the church are. Can I tell you, none of those things ought to be the standard. How accurate are they on doctrine? How accurate are they on Bible teaching and preaching? How strong are they in in trying to get across to the hearts of men and women their need for God's transforming work? But because there's a lot of biblical illiteracy, most people don't even know what to look for in a church. So how do we solve it? The first thing I've got to do is I've got to take this book and I've got to... I'm going to use this word. I've got to digest this book. I mean, I need to know it. I need to read it. I need to study it. I need to ask for the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to my heart on things that are difficult for me in it. So that I can be a leader and be able to help teach doctrine rightly in our churches. And so that that church then can make an influence on our society as a whole. And then and only then will we see this thing reversed of biblical illiteracy. It begins with you. It begins with me. 
I know that we're sitting here in the Sunday afternoon crowd. I'm preaching to the choir on this to some degree. But folks, if we make it important for us, it's not long before it will spread to others and they'll see the importance too. We ought to be hiding God's Word in our heart. We ought to be seeking it every day. We ought to be talking to others about it. We ought to be sharing it with others. Asking their thoughts on things. We need to make sure that we're responsible to pass it down to our children. And we need to encourage preachers to get back to just preaching the Bible. Just preach the Bible. Don't preach preference. Don't preach opinion. Preach the Bible. What does it say? What does it teach? Let's pray that God will help us in this day reverse the effects of rampant biblical illiteracy that is continuing, that is continuing to grow day by day. May we reverse it. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we've done our best today to try to bring to light some things that we must, we must begin to deal with. If there is any hope for the future of